0: Tonight, we're going to pick up with the rest of chapter two, which is, or chapter one, which is really about God revealing himself. Now, we mentioned this a little bit last week, because uh, the very end of what we talked about last week was God revealing his righteousness from heaven, and I remember I mentioned how for Martin Luther, in the time of the, the 16th century, the time we call the Reformation, This uh, passage, verse 16 and 17, was really bothering him because he didn't understand how it could be good news, which is literally what the word gospel means. How can it be good news that God is revealing his righteousness? That seems like the worst possible news because when God reveals how righteous he is, what does it have the effect of doing to us? It shows us how far short of his righteousness we actually are. And then, in in sort of a Holy Spirit-given breakthrough, he realized that the reason that verse 16 and 17, Paul talks about this revelation of God's righteousness is actually good news, is because in the gospel, God is giving us his righteousness, not just forgiveness. He's not just wiping away the mistakes. He actually gives us credit for the way that Jesus lived, and that is remarkable. Uh, and if you were to summarize, you can think of it this way. The gospel says that at the same time, I am more flawed and more broken than I realize. But also, I am more deeply loved and secure in what Jesus has done than I ever dreamed was possible. And both of those things are true at the same time. Now, here in the rest of chapter 1, Paul begins to talk about that bad news that really shows us how good the good news really is. Uh, it, it's like if you ever go, probably not many of you have done this yet, but if you ever go to buy an engagement ring and you're going to pick out a diamond that you're going to put in a setting, do you know what they always do when they show you a diamond? What do they put it on? Black velvet. Black velvet because the diamond will be set off by that contrast and look better, right? And in some ways, that's what we're going to look at tonight, except the problem is this bad news is hard to hear. It's hard to hear. Now, when I think about the the book of Romans, the reason I wanted to look at this book this semester was because the book of Romans is one of the most important books for us to be oriented to reality i I think about that whenever i'm preaching i am offering a, a theological vision of reality that it at times may correspond to the way you think reality works the way i think reality works at times it really comes and smacks us in the face and says the way you think things work it actually doesn't work that way right so, this is about God revealing some very important things to orient us to reality. But it's a hard passage because this passage, we're going to see in a second when we read it, is actually contains the longest section in the Bible on the issue of homosexuality. And that is not a topic that I would wish to talk about tonight. It's, it's really not. One of the things that you have to understand, first of all, In RUF, we tend to go through books of the Bible verse by verse by verse. One of the reasons that's important is it keeps the preacher, me, from kind of picking the things that I want to talk about. And it really is a way of saying the things that God talks about often are going to come up often, right? So this doesn't come up often because it's not talked about very much, but it comes up tonight. And the thing that makes this extra difficult is this has been a passage that... For some people, they've avoided it like the plague, and for others, uh, they've had this passage weaponized, and and I think taken out of context. As we're going to see, it's not really the main point of what Paul's talking about here, and we need to see it in context. But if we avoid this passage, we will end up missing two really important things that Paul tells us here. One is general revelation, I'm going to explain that and the issue of idolatry. And I would argue that you can't really make sense of the beauty and the brokenness of this world without those two huge ideas. And so we don't want to avoid this passage, but we want to be sensitive. And I'll just say this. Man, remember, Christianity is a revealed religion, Uh, A guy named A.W. Tozer said it this way, no one has a right to pick and choose among revealed truths as much as we might want to. And I, I wish I had the time to adequately discuss this issue with the kind of nuance that it would take, but I think it's actually a conversation that's better to have over a cup of coffee. So seriously, come see me afterwards, we can talk more about this. And even if you're like, yeah, I don't know if I, if I agree, I don't know if I you know, really wanna go there, I don't know if I even like what the Bible says here, I'm not sure I'm down with that. Um, my encouragement is to keep staying curious. I, I think this is actually one of the most important things, whether it's relationships with your friend or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or um, relationship with God, is rather than just say, I don't like that, and, and condemn it, to stay curious. Why might God speak about this? Because let me tell you, in the first century, in the Greco-Roman world, nobody liked what Paul was saying here. Like, Paul, this is not just something that is hard for us to talk about today. This was something that was, seemed crazy in Paul's day and I'll explain a little bit about that and thus why he might have uh, talked about this at all in other words here we are so let's look at this this passage about what God has revealed and mankind's response we're going to start reading at verse 16 and I'm actually going to go into chapter 2 because I think it's really helpful you know the, the verse and chapter markings are not in the original text of the Bible Okay, If you don't know that, sometimes the chapter cutoffs are not very helpful because you need to kind of see what comes next. So we're going to go all the way up through verse 4 of chapter 2. All right, follow along. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In the things that have been made so they are without excuse for although they knew god they did not honor him as god or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things therefore god gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now at this point... All the Jewish readers are like, yeah, Paul, go get them. Talk about those crazy pagans that we live among. You know? But look what he does here in verse two, chapter two. Therefore, you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's a really fascinating ending, isn't it? Because you're talking all about this wrath, and then it... You know, Paul's like, you know, saying all this stuff that the Jews rightly said about the pagans that they lived among. They're like all these pagan people, whether they be Greeks or Romans or Egyptians, like they do all this crazy stuff. We would never do that. And Paul says, yeah, okay. well, you judge people and you actually do the same kind of thing. Your lives are filled with idolatry as well. And you've shown you've shown no softness towards the patience and mercy of God that was designed to lead you to repentance. As as we dig into this passage, I I hope you will see this whole framework uh, rather than just sort of picking out certain verses that might bother us. I think it's so important that we see the big picture framework. But let me pray, and then I'm going to take you through uh, this passage. Lord, we do thank you for your word, even though at times... Uh, we wished it said different things or didn't speak to things that um, that offend or have the potential for really even hurting people. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as we come to this, your holy word. Um, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so here's the, the couple points, kind of main points that I want us to, to look at as we break this down. The first is God is revealing himself through his creation. This is uh, what doctrine uh, theologians call general revelation, and there's a closely allied idea called common grace. And we're going to talk about that. It's a really important thing to understand. And then we're going to look at this, and I know this will seem a little bizarre, but, but I think the second point Paul's making here is that God graciously reveals that worship is what's wrong with us. At the deepest level, it's not what we do. It's not what we feel. It's not even what we think. There's something actually deeper than all of those things. It has to do with worship. And then we're going to look at this. God is graciously revealing his wrath I know for many of us that seems like a complete non sequitur, but I hope to be able to explain that and why that's so important. And then we're going to talk about the righteousness of God revealed and the patience of God revealed and why that gives us hope tonight. Okay. so first, God is revealing himself through his creation. Now, I want you to understand, Paul has never met these people that he's writing to. Uh, I think I mentioned this last week. This is really actually a missionary support letter. You find at the very end of the letter that Paul is going to Spain. He wants to preach the gospel in Spain. And he's going to stop off in Rome, and he's hoping that he will be encouraged uh, by the church that's, that's kind of been birthed there and also be able to encourage them on his way to Spain. So it is interesting to think about, like, why does he start this way? And, and I think one of the things that's helpful to know about the, the book of Romans, this is the longest explanation of the gospel uh, that you find in the New Testament. And it's not skewed by particular problems that would cause him to emphasize some things and not other things. There are other letters where Paul is writing to address a particular problem or disagreement or distortion of the gospel, and therefore uh, that, care, that, that has influence on what things he stresses and what things he maybe doesn't put as much emphasis on. But if you ask Paul, what is the gospel, this is how he lays it out. And i got to tell you, he spends three chapters talking about sin. We're not going to spend three weeks talking about sin. Uh, in some ways, when you read and go through a letter like this week by week, a little bit at a time, you actually kind of introduce a certain distortion. Because Paul would have expected this letter to be read at one sitting in church when he sent it to them. So he wouldn't say, you guys just need to sit in sin for a month before we actually get to the gospel. Okay? So that's one of the challenges in going through a letter the way we are going to we do it in RUF. All right? That's why I'm going to ch- jump to chapter... Three actually next week, because chapter 3 is a summary of the first three chapters. But here's what Paul does. He says, look, God has revealed himself in his creation. And we call this general revelation because this revealing of God in through his creation goes out to all people, whether they're Jewish or Christian or what, everybody knows something about God. Now he doesn't say that the gospel." or that Jesus has been revealed through the creation. As a matter of fact, earlier in chapter one, he says it's the scriptures that reveal the gospel to us. But God's invisible qualities, his power, his majesty, this is understood from the creation itself. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The creation is not just this static evidence That we can point to and say god must exist because look at the world and look at the order and you know intelligent design that's not actually what paul's saying here that i think that's true but i think there's a much more important point you need to understand if you look at psalm 19 very important passage regarding this general revelation idea it says that the heavens declare god's glory day after day they pour forth speech So what Psalm 19 is saying is that the creation is not just this static evidence of God, if you would look at it right. No, the creation is actually preaching at us. And every single person is hearing it. As a matter of fact, you could even say this, everything that is made is stamped with meaning. It's everything that's made is saying God is glorious. And everything that human beings make, what we call culture, is made with the stuff that God has stamped with meaning. Now, I know that in the Christian church, particularly the evangelical church, uh, a lot of times you hear people kind of be demeaning towards popular culture in particular. Uh, And usually people will say, well, it's trivial because it's just popular, you know, it's not high art, or it's dangerous Of course, it can't be both, you know, because if it's really trivial, how dangerous is it? And if it really is dangerous, then it's certainly not trivial. But I think what Paul lays out here is actually a very different way of looking at this. What he's saying is everything that's made, think about art, think about music, think about um, literature, everything that's made is a dialogue with God through the stuff he's made and stamped with meaning. And one of the reasons that's so important to understand is if you're a Christian who is moved powerfully by things that are made by people who don't confess faith in Jesus, you don't have to explain it away. Because they're interacting with God. They're dialoguing with God. That means we should listen to what they're saying. Sometimes they hear things that Christians have stuffed their ears and not listened to. You know, it's to the great shame of the Christian church, I think. That the arbitrary, oppressive idea of beauty that is so dominant in our culture, that the critiques of that have not come from the church. They've come from those outside the church. And we don't have to explain that away. We can say, thank you that somebody was listening. Even if in the church we put beauty, arbitrary ideas of beauty, uh, have have a dominance that really shouldn't be. Okay, So general revelation is really important, and, and Paul says here it's preaching at us, it's this ongoing thing, but what does he say? He says mankind has suppressed this. This general revelation, God speaking, saying God is glorious, that is actually pushing against us, mankind, he says, has, has tried to suppress that truth and keep it down, Now, this, Paul's saying, is the way to understand every culture. This is a framework to understand all humanity. I hope you see that that's what he's saying here. If you want to understand the beauty and the brokenness of our world, you have to understand that every person who lives is in this dynamic tug of war, if you will, with God and his speaking. In fact, you could think of idolatry as refusing to listen to what God is saying and what his creation is saying and trying to substitute what he's saying for your own message. Let me give you an an example of that. Sex. Now, The Bible actually has a lot to say about sex and what it's meant for. The Bible would say that sex is to be expressed as a way to say, I belong to you, within the covenant of marriage, between one man and one woman. The Bible is really clear on that, okay? And, and yet, in our culture, there are all kinds of different messages or different things that people use sex to try to say. Some, some would say, you know, it's just a biological function. You know, it's just like eating. That, you know, when, when, when we get hungry, we eat. When we feel sexy, we sex. And, and there's nothing more to it than that. But of, course, but, of course, you know that that's not true. You know that it's more powerful and it's more connected than that, right? And I want to be sensitive here because what Paul's saying here is when you refuse to honor God and honor what he said about everything, it ends up bringing bitterness and heartache, right? If you use sex to say, here's why I matter, or here's how I exert my power. It leads to all kinds of brokenness and bitterness. Uh, I think about another. Let's give another example, right? Work. God says work. Work is not a result of the fall, I hope you understand. God gave Adam and Eve work to do in the garden to bring about all the God-glorifying potential that he had built into his creation. And yet we use work so often to say, this is why I matter. This is why I don't really need God, I can, I can take care of myself, right? And whenever we try to use work to say something different than what God has made it to say, it brings heartache and bitterness, and the true meaning keeps pushing pushing through. So that's what Paul is saying, if you want to understand the world you live in, you need to understand that what it means to be human is you were made for worship, and yet the reality is you're suppressing that truth. That when you refuse to give God glory, which means to say, to treat him as weighty, that's literally what the word in Greek and Hebrew means, the word glory refers to weightiness, refusing to see God as weighty, as him being the center of everything, will have an influence on your understanding, on your emotions, and on the way you live. And that's actually really important to know, because so often we're trying to deal with the symptoms without actually really dealing with worship. We're trying to be like, look, I I hate that I always get nervous in this kind of setting. And, And the question might be, well, what is it that you're trusting in that feels threatened in that situation? Worship is what's wrong with us, but I would give you this good news. Worship is actually also the way that God brings healing That as we see him as more beautiful and believable. Um, I loved in that the Heidelberg Catechism. Our God is faithful. When you understand that God is faithful, it changes how you live in this life. So God is revealing himself through his creation. He's revealing that worship, idolatry, is the heart of what's wrong, right? And and, then I I, I just want to say this it's actually. is so good that God reveals his wrath. Now, this is probably the one that like, okay, right, sure, help me understand that. Now, the, you might think of this word wrath as this kind of old-fashioned word, and it is. But the alternative for the English translations is to use the word anger. The reason they don't use the word anger is because most of us, when we hear the word anger, we think of somebody flying off the handle. And, and that would be a misunderstanding of who God is. Because wrath is his righteous response to sin and evil. It's not arbitrary. It's not out of control. It's not born out of weakness or fear. Okay? And, and, and what's going on here, though it may seem like a very unpopular idea today, uh, it actually makes sense if you think about it a little bit. Try this. What would we think of a father or a mother who watched their children ruin their lives and sell themselves into slavery without being at all upset or angry. See, I think when you understand, again, your maker is your husband. And this is why the Bible regularly uses the the issue of adultery to understand what God feels like, being in a relationship with us. A friend of mine likes to say, God knows what it's like to be in a bad marriage because he's married to you. Right? He knows what it's like to be in a dysfunctional relationship because he's in a relationship with you. And he's patient and he perseveres. And he, he, he doesn't just kind of wake up one morning and say, oh, I'm just sick of them. I am just done with them. But he also doesn't just sit back passively and watch while you destroy your life. What kind of father would do that? Right? So God, God is one who says, I can't just sit back and watch you ruin your life. And what does it say he does then? It says that he gives us over. Now that's a really interesting, that that phrase shows up over and over again in this section. He gives us over. God's wrath in this life often takes the form of God giving us over and letting us have what we want. Listen to this. Sometimes the most loving thing God can do when faced with our rebellion is to taste the bitterness. Let us taste the bitterness of refusing to worship him. If we were made to worship him and to find our joy and security in basking in his approval and his smile, then refusing, refusing to trust him will bring brokenness and bitterness. And sometimes the only way that we'll be convinced of that is to be like the prodigal who wakes up one morning saying, what am I doing wanting to eat food for the pigs? That's a hard place to be. But it's harder for God, harder for God to see one who he made for glory in that kind of place. If you don't understand that, you're going to misunderstand this whole passage. Think of it this way. God loves us so much that he's actually willing to take the risk of us misunderstanding what he's doing when he stands in the way or when he gives us over to taste the bitterness of getting what we want. All right, but I do need to talk about this. Why then does God, does Paul single out homosexuality here? Like, what's going on here? I, I, I want you to understand Paul is using this as an example of the bigger point. And it's an example that in his day, the Jews would have recognized because they themselves used it regularly. We, we have lots of writings, actually, from Jewish teachers talking about the, the, the crazy pagans that they lived among. People like the Egyptians and the Romans and the Greeks. Who, who were just awful to, to one another sexually. Uh, not just like loving relationships, but even taking advantage of people, men and women. Um, it, 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 was an awful, it was an awful world sexually. The idea that you should have the right to say no to someone who is a higher class person than you when they asked or demanded for sex, that idea came into the world through christianity it was definitely not the context of the first century nobody believed that okay until the christianity began to make inroads and began to transform the culture so paul here is saying look you guys all know that this idea that when we suppress the truth of what god has revealed about what we were made for how he made us to be it leads to all kinds of things that you never would have thought people would do that seem like so out of character. But it's not just homosexuality. Look at what he says in verse 28 and 29. He goes through a whole list of things. And every one of those he could have substituted and used as his example. Do you understand? Like every one of these is a breakdown that comes because we have put our hope and worship in something other than God, right? So Paul is is basically laying out a paradigm to help us understand that what we do is not merely what we do. Even what we feel and what we think is ultimately traced back to what we worship. And then he says, for all you that are tracking with my argument who are like, yeah, Paul, you get them. Say, say to those crazy pagan people you know how bad they are. He says, actually, you're no better, and in some ways, you're worse. And that's like, whoa. I hope you see it. So here's the thing. like, so, Some people have, we have to say this, have weaponized this passage against gay people. And that's awful. It's also not the point. The point is, worship is what's wrong with us, All of us. Not just them. All of us. All of us. It's my friend uh, Sam Albury. He's actually my next door neighbor. um, He said, you know, when you look at a passage like this and and, and you think about the kinds of things that Paul is condemning, like if the gospel is not good news for gay people, it's not good news for any of us. Because you can't separate yourself and just say, oh, that's their issue. No, he says... I, greed, I, look at the list, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Disobedient to parents is put on the same level with all these things that we think are really bad. You see that? So, so I, I think that the Christian church has really done a disservice to so many people by saying, well, this is the really bad stuff, and then ignoring or making light of some of these other things. I, I mean, later in one of his other letters, Paul talks about greed and literally says, which is idolatry? We don't ever talk about that, right? We don't ever talk about that. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's important, and, and I would just say this. What Paul's saying is, God has revealed this is what he made people for, but listen, this is not the only thing the Bible says about the way things are now. There's all kinds of brokenness. There's all kinds of disordered loves is the way I think the Bible would like to talk about it. We tend to think of sin as breaking the rules. But it really is the rupture of a relationship because you don't listen. And I don't listen. Unless you think that when you become a Christian, all that gets straightened out, I'm afraid not. Because when Paul gets to Romans chapter 7, he's going to say that the things that we don't want to do, that's what we do. And the things that we do, that's what we don't wanna do. So you can't just say, well, that's true for those people, but once you become a Christian, then you get control over all these disordered loves and everything gets fixed. No, it doesn't work that way. We're still in this place of having to cry out to God every moment for grace, that we could honor him and that we could have the courage to listen to him. And what gives us courage? Well, what gives us courage is the revelation of God. See, what's interesting here in verse 16, 17, and then 18, some translations leave out the four that begins verse 18, which is to basically say um, you disconnect this bad news from part of the revelation of the gospel, which is the good news. Now, why why is it that revealing God's wrath is connected to what Paul calls the good news? And it's this. God reveals his wrath to drive us back to himself. Think about it. If God didn't love us, why would he bother revealing his wrath instead of just executing it? And you see in verse 4 of chapter 2, it's because God is incredibly patient. But God is revealing his wrath. Make no mistake about it. The fact that death is in the world is part of God revealing that things are not right that it wasn't supposed to be this way and yet I remember when my wife Wendy worked at at Vanderbilt hospital I remember her telling me one time that when people die at Vanderbilt hospital what's the word they use they say that they expired And I thought, that's interesting. What a great example of trying to use a word that would sanitize a really awful reality. And make it, or sometimes you hear people say, death is just part of living. It's just part of life. No, it's not. It's not at all. And let me tell you, anybody that says that has never watched somebody die. If you've ever watched somebody die, it's the weirdest, creepiest, eeriest thing that you'll ever experience. And you know that this is not the way it was supposed to be. And so that is part of the revelation that things are not right. Death came into the world because things are broken because mankind is not listening to God. And if God has revealed that all things are not right through death, I would say he amplifies that message that all things are not right by the cross. It's one thing for God to say, Death is in the world, and how dare you think that everything is fine? It's not fine. But even louder, that message that all is not right is proclaimed by the suffering of an innocent man who went to the cross willingly for those who don't listen. You remember what Jesus said? This is, always astonishes me. As they are sending him to his death, you remember what he prays? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I'm like, really? Really? They don't know what they're doing? They don't understand the full significance. But they seem to very clearly have heard his words and said, nope. Nope. Give us Barabbas. Give us this murderer. And send our king to the gallows. If all death speaks to us that things are not right, the cross screams it at us that things are not right. And that brings us back to this idea of God giving over. (laughs) Because the most astonishing example of God giving over someone is, of course, God giving over his own son. He has given over those who are not listening to God so that they could understand life does not work apart from God. As Tim Keller says, when you break God's laws, they break you. They're not arbitrary. They're not God just saying, I don't want you to have any fun. No, your maker is the one who loves you, who's married himself to you. But when you break God's laws, they break you. And still, in light of that, in spite of that, God gives over his son to die on a cross so that those who refuse to honor him as God would be welcomed back into his family. If that doesn't melt your heart, I don't know what will. And that gets us to verse 4 again. The most incredible demonstration of God's patience that's designed to lead to repentance is that Jesus went to a cross willingly for people that jeered at him and mocked him and spit upon him. Let that melt your heart, and in particular, let that melt your suspicion about God and his love. Listen, I know that the verses in this passage about homosexuality, about even to talk about disordered loves is, is hard, because it seems like there's some standard that we have to, you know, listen to. And who gets to tell us about love and who we can love and who we should love? And i like, God claims that right because he made you and because he loves you and you're not your own, you've been bought with a price. But I understand that is difficult to swallow. And the only thing I think that can help you begin to embrace that is to look at what Jesus suffered. Because I know for me, when I hear things like that, I don't want to, I don't want that. I don't want that to be, the, I don't want to have to say that. I don't want people to feel that. I don't want that, all the mess that comes with that. It's difficult. And, 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 and so many of my friends and, and myself, we wrestle with this. And yet, the, the, the fact of Jesus going to the cross is what keeps me trusting on and saying, God, I don't quite understand how all this fits together but let your love melt my suspicion of feeling that you don't care, you don't understand. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. God's patience is undeserved and is beyond what we could experience. And listen, God's wrath is not revealed to scare us because that doesn't bring anybody to his loving heart. It's God's patience and his mercy that's designed to lead to repentance. And that goes for people who are following Jesus and people who are trying to figure out this Christianity thing. The patience of God, the mercy of God, is what we always need to be focused on. And even the revelation of his wrath is part of that. Mercy designed to lead us to repentance. Let's pray.